Hello and welcome to the Soccer History USA podcast. On today's episode, Stacking Success. As the American Soccer League entered its third season, there seemed to be an increasing level of competition as most clubs brought in foreign players with the hopes of competing for the title. The league remained at eight teams, a solid foundation that likely could sustain growth moving forward. Nevertheless, there was change as some clubs exited and new sides joined the league. Six teams retained their places from the previous season, Bethlehem Steel, New York Field Club, Fall River, Philadelphia, Brooklyn Wanderers, and reigning champions J.M.P. Coates. Two New Jersey franchises changed hands and moved locations. Harrison was sold to Tom Adam and moved to Newark, while Maurice Vandeway bought the Patterson Silk Sox and relocated them to New York as the National Giants. Thomas Adam, the owner of the Newark franchise, was a New Jersey native born to parents who had immigrated from Scotland. His main business was as a wholesaler who sold parts for radios. One wonders if he ever considered broadcasting any of his club's matches. Maurice Vandeway of the New York Giants was born in Belgium and came to the United States in 1903. He too was a wholesaler, although his family business involved furs. In the years before World War I, Vandeway and at least one of his brothers had played soccer in various amateur leagues around New York City, lining up for teams such as the German Football Club and Brooklyn Field Club. In one memorable match in the 1914 New York Association Cup competition, Adil Vandeway, Maurice's younger brother, netted six goals in a 9-1 trouncing of FC Patchogue. Athletic skill must have run in the family, as Maurice's son Ernie later played professional basketball with the New York Knicks, and his grandson, Kiki Vandeway, became a two-time NBA All-Star who played for the Nuggets, Trailblazers, Knicks, and Clippers. We can also learn something about the value of the franchises as the New York Soccer Club was incorporated in July 1923 with an initial capital of $10,000, about $139,000 today. In addition to the shifting of franchises, there was also a great deal of player movement, and when the season began there were 58 new players spread across the eight teams. The offseason included the first-ever paid transfer in league history as J.M.P. Coates sold Fred Morley to Fall River. The Massachusetts club was one of the most active in reworking their roster, despite finishing a strong third in the club's inaugural campaign. The marksman added top halfback Dougie Campbell and goalkeeper of the year Finlay Kerr from Bethlehem Steel. Fall River also signed former Patterson forward Frank McKenna, along with English import William Hibbert. Bethlehem Steel welcomed Player of the Year Jock Ferguson back into the fold and once again looked abroad to strengthen its club. The team scored a major coup when they were able to beat out several other clubs to sign Scottish brothers Walter and Alex Jackson. The duo may prove to be two of the most talented players yet to feature in the ASL. Other notable moves included last season's top scorer David McNiven, who left Bethlehem Steel to join New York Field Club. The Gothamites' forward line looked to be deadly, 
with McNiven joining future Hall of Famers Archie Stark and Tommy Duggan, who together had scored 41 goals over the first two ASL seasons. American clubs aggressively recruited Scottish players, raiding the likes of St. Johnston, Hibernian, Kilmarnock, 3rd Lanark, Aberdeen, St. Mirren, and Celtic. Although with the possible exception of the Jackson brothers, there were few high-profile names on the transfer list. One of the most interesting arrivals came from English club Barry to JMP Coates. Jock Allen had been one of several men accused of fixing at least two matches during the 1920 season for payments totaling 750 pounds. Eventually, Allen and the others were banned for life from English football and so decided to continue their playing careers in America. Another intriguing signing was Philadelphia's Hugh Bolton, who had played for several big English clubs, including Everton and Newcastle. Bolton hailed from Port Glasgow, Scotland, and was one of 12 children. By trade a carpenter, Bolton had a successful career in English football, making 87 appearances for Everton and scoring 34 goals. He was one of the starting 11 for the Blues' 1906 FA Cup win. Bolton was 41 years old when he arrived in the U.S., so we'll see exactly how much the veteran forward has left in the tank. With all the player movement, it will be interesting to see which clubs can gel early and give themselves a good start to what is shaping up to be a competitive season. And now for some headlines from off the pitch. The United States mourns the death of President Warren G. Harding. Despite recently suffering from heart trouble and pneumonia, his death from a cerebral hemorrhage has shocked the nation. Nine million people lined the railroad tracks as his body was taken from San Francisco to Washington, D.C., and finally to his home state of Ohio for burial. Pressmen in New York launch an outlaw strike against the city's newspapers. Desperate workers had been without a contract for over two weeks, as publishers showed no willingness to make concessions. Coup in Spain as General Miguel Primo de Rivera seized power. In a statement justifying the action, he proclaimed, Our aim is to open a brief parenthesis in the constitutional life of Spain and to reestablish it as soon as the country offers us men uncontaminated with the vices of political action. In sports, the National Football League kicked off its fourth season with 20 teams vying for the crown. Last year's winner, the Canton Bulldogs, remained strong contenders, but will have to outlast serious challenges from the Green Bay Packers, Milwaukee Badgers, and newcomers, the Duluth Kellys. Several clubs, including title contenders Fall River, started the season strong. In addition to fortifying the squad during the summer, the team played more preseason contests than most ASL sides. As a result, the Marksmen went undefeated in their opening five matches. Despite the positive start, once again key man Harold Britton began the season slowly, failing to find the net in the first month of the schedule. Dougie Campbell and Johnny Reed picked up the slack, notching three goals each. Finlay Kerr also proved his worth by holding opponents to less than a goal a game while also keeping two clean sheets. Paul 
Rivers' promising start was perhaps not surprising considering their third-place finish the previous season and the investments made over the summer. Brooklyn's strong opening month, however, was less expected. In addition to reinforcing the squad with a bevy of Scottish imports, the Wanderers also inaugurated a new stadium at Sterling Street and Nostrand Avenue in Brooklyn. Christened Wanderer Field, the new ground had a capacity of 8,000. The club welcomed Bethlehem Steel for the stadium's inaugural match on October 7, 1923. 2,000 fans cheered as the home side took the lead in the 25th minute when James Dougherty scored from a pass by Michael Cosgrove. The Steelmen stormed back and dominated the second half. They bombarded the Wanderers' goal, but the stout Brooklyn defense kept the visitors from drawing level. Soon, however, the Wanderers' defense began to tire, and Malcolm Goldie evened the score as the game finished a 1-1 draw. The draw in Brooklyn was part of a slow start for the Steelmen, who began the season with one win, one loss, and two draws. Perhaps most alarmingly for Bethlehem was that they had already conceded 11 goals while scoring only nine. The Christmas City squad's problems were evident during one of the wildest matches of the league's first month. Bethlehem Steel traveled to the Big Apple on October 14th to face New York Field Club. Viewed as a clash between two of the league's top clubs, the match did not lack for excitement. Played before 5,000 people at the New York Oval, the visitors led 2-0 at the half thanks to goals by Alex and Walter Jackson. It all came undone for the Steelmen in the second half, however, as New York scored four goals, including a brace from Archie Stark, in less than 20 minutes to capture the two points. It was a disappointing result for Bethlehem, and the local paper laid the blame squarely on new keeper David Carson, writing that he guarded the Citadel as though dazed, and his efforts to save on shots the critics contended could have been handled were decidedly feeble. Oh, Mr. Carson. Today's sponsor is G. Washington's Coffee. You do not have to make G. Washington's Coffee. It is made. Just dissolve it and drink it. A great convenience and oh, so good. Last season's cellar dwellers Philadelphia also got off to a brutal start in the 1923-24 campaign. In the offseason, the club had seemingly abandoned its policy of relying on local players by signing several imports, including former Everton man Hugh Bolton and at least three other British footballers. Unfortunately for the Phillies, the new additions could not stop the club from continuing its dismal run of form into the new season. Once again anchored to the bottom of the table after the first month, the Quaker City side were conceding over three goals a game while scoring less than one. Also near the bottom of the table, league debutants Newark had an attack that looked toothless. In their four losses, the Skeeters managed to find the back of the net just three times, and two of those came in one match. Across the league, however, goal totals were up, with 65 scored during October compared to 45 in the previous season. Three clubs had already tallied at least 10 goals, with JMP Coates leading all sides with 17, and Whitey Fleming had scored in five consecutive matches for the club. Of course, seven of those came against hapless Philadelphia on October 20th. 
New York's front line proved as deadly as advertised early on, with Archie Stark, Tommy Duggan, and Bart McGee combining for a total of 11 goals, with Stark alone netting five. The rest of the league will have much to fear once new signing David McNiven rounds into shape. So the league's third season was off to an exciting start, and it will be interesting to see how the rest of the competition plays out. Follow all the action right here on the Soccer History USA podcast. Sources for today's program include Colin Joseph's The American Soccer League, www.bethlehemsteelsoccer.org, The Brooklyn Eagle, and Ancestry.com. Music from archive.org. Thank you for listening to the Soccer History USA podcast. For more information, visit www.soccerhistoryusa.org and follow me on Twitter at Soccer History US. You can also like the podcast on Facebook. If you enjoy the show, please consider leaving a review at iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Thank you.